If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fifth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please click that subscribe button. Follow us for authentic and encouraging Christian content. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Or check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. You'll find blogs, sermons, study guides, podcast links, and lots of free stuff. We hope that you enjoy today's broadcast. Well, today uh, we're in John 14, and I uh, appreciate James filling in for me last week and looking forward to digging in again to the Gospel of John. I spent quite a bit of time studying and looking through these sections, these chapters, uh, preparing for um, this class, and it helped me also in preparing some other material that we'll, we'll get to at another date. But I love how Jesus is able to transfer this energy from the Last Supper and the washing of feet to show how much he cares for his disciples. So in our time together today, we'll see him comforting um, his disciples, showing them love and affection and reminding them that he's with them and he's, it's all going to be okay. He's going to work uh, things together for good, I guess you could say. And uh, he reminds them that the only solution is to look to him because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't know how many times I've done funerals where I've quoted uh, the first section here in chapter 14, and it's probably one that, um, that you admire as well and love. So let's, let's start with just the first four verses and see what Jesus is doing to comfort uh, his apostles as now they're, they're realizing he's going to be um, dying on the cross. And I, I don't know what's wrong with my clicker here. For some reason. Got so many of these things. So... Well, okay. (laughs) The first four verses. Uh, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if uh, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. So Jesus starts by comforting the apostles, saying, here's, here's what I want you to know. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Uh, in the end, ultimately, uh, I'm going to be with you. You have nothing to fear. And this is typical Jesus, right? Um, making sure that his disciples are ready for whatever's coming ahead. And I think that, in, in my mind anyway, I'm not going to get that to work, so I'm just going to let it go. Um, in my mind, anyway, I think about people who have an opportunity to say goodbye to their loved ones where, you know, you have a disease or a sickness or some kind of an ailment and you have a little bit of time to say your goodbyes. There's always that question, <laughs> what's worse? Is it knowing that death is coming or having it sudden? And we, we don't get to choose uh, how that happens. But Jesus says to his disciples in chapter 10, uh, what I'm going to do, nobody's going to take my life from me. I'm going to lay it down willingly. And so now he's kind of setting up 
for his apostles to receive this comfort that it's going to be okay. And it's helpful, too, to know that they will all run except for John and Peter. Peter soon after will run. But most of them would take off. And so their last words hearing Jesus is, it's going to be okay. I'll come back and get you. I'm going to give you comfort. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, so forth. So they need this comfort. They need this strength. And the word believe uh, used here, you know, believe in God, this idea of faith. Um, he's saying, you've got, if you believe, if you're a believer in the Lord, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to believe in me that what I'm saying, it's going to happen exactly like this. And soon after this, obviously, he's going to go through the garden. He's going to be betrayed by uh, Judas, the, the, the kiss, the, the imprisonment, uh, all these terrible things that come one by one. And Jesus says, you know, ultimately, it's going to be all right if you believe me, if you believe me. And then he says, another uh, assurance is that I'm going to prepare a place for you to come to, to where I am. And so they then now are going to be questioning, where is he saying he's going? And this shows that they knew just a little bit, but they didn't quite accept that Jesus was going to die because he had all these, you know, the power to do all these miracles. Surely he's not going to die. Surely he's just going to kind of faint and then come back. Uh, or uh, he's going to somehow get down off the cross. But that's not, that's not what's going to happen. And so John shows us these physical levels in addition to spiritual levels of maturity where they had to grow, that they were ready for Jesus to go. And most of them were not. They were not ready for Jesus's uh, death. They were scared. Uh, they were frightened of uh, the persecution of the Pharisees. They were worried about um, who is next. I mean, you would think that if they killed Jesus, who's the next one they're going to kill. So they, they obviously flee. Um, and Jesus is going to prepare a place, he says. So obviously we think about heaven, but he says um, this illustration is kind of like go back to the garden. The garden was prepared for man. The promised land was prepared for the uh, Israelites uh, and so forth. So now you're getting this eternal home rest. And he says, we're working on it. We're working on it together. Uh, how many of you have the translation where it says in my father's house are many rooms? You see that? Okay. So there's a couple of different ways to translate this. Some say, in my father's house are many mansions. That doesn't make a lot of sense because it's like a one house and then mansions inside the house. And, of course, it's talking about a dwelling, the, the heavens completely. But some translations actually put rooms. So it, it makes the illustration that, that God's house has several rooms in the hallways, in the upstairs, downstairs, whatever. Um, but either way you translate it, there is a special sacred spot, a place for each person. And that's a, a picture of heaven that we don't have in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it talks about gather to your kin or gather to your, 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 your family or um, talking about be, uh, be in the presence of God. But Jesus adds this new element that you all have a space reserved for you. And later, um, when we get a chance to study Mark, we'll see Jesus tells his disciples that each of these men will have a section of the wall named after them in heaven. And, um, and so they, they have, the apostles have this sacred space. But it gives us hope, too, in that hopefully, um, if we're understanding scriptures correctly, each of us have a reserved spot. And, of course, me, I, the way I look at it is I was raised, my brother and I um, shared bedrooms all the time, a lot of houses. 
And it was awesome to go to a house where we had our own bedroom. And you could decorate it however you wanted. Um, and that's just so much fun. But Jesus says there is a sacred, special spot for every person. Whether it's a, a mansion itself or a room inside God's mansion, you have a space reserved. I just think that's really neat. Uh, any other thoughts on those first four verses? Because he's about to drop a big one here when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's a really cool little section here. All right, so let's read. Um, let's go through and read just the next few verses, uh, five through seven. So Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, uh, you know him and have seen him. So uh, now he goes from comforting all the apostles to just Thomas. I find it very interesting that the first apostle to speak is the last apostle to speak in John 20. John, Thomas is the guy who's the, we call him Doubting Thomas because of his, his doubt in chapter 20. But John says he's the first one to speak up. And he's like, look, we, we want to know. It's kind of like the parables. They would ask Jesus, what do you mean by that? So Thomas says, what, what do you mean by saying, you know, you're going to prepare a place? So where are you going and, and how can we go with you? Is there, a, is there a way to be able to make this trip? Remember back earlier in John where he tells his disciples, chapter 11, Lazarus is dead. And, and he says, well, let's go and die with him. So Thomas has a little more boldness than, than we might give him credit for. And so in this instance, he says, I want an answer. So Jesus is saying, I am the way, which means I am the access point. I am the truth. That is all things that uh, uh, come to areas of faith. You know, I am the truth and then I'm the way again. So the way, the truth, and then the life, uh, all of those connect. And the life that he speaks of is eternal life, not just physical life. And so we go back to the woman at the well. We go back to the bread. I'm the bread of life. Uh, and, and Jesus is saying, I am everything you'll need. I, I am the one thing that can sustain you. Uh, and I think that's really neat, too, in 1 Corinthians, where it talks about faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It resides there. And, and Jesus is love. Yeah. This verse 6 is an indictment of all of your Muslims that do not believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is a serious thing. There yeah. are, I don't know how many Muslims, but there's a sack full of them. Mm-hmm. Millions. Uh, you know, they don't accept Jesus. So in that case, they have no way to the Father. Right. I don't care if they call on Allah all the time. Right. Unless they accept Jesus. There's no way there. And until the current Pope, that was the that was the uh, basis of when you talk about like evangelistic efforts and you talk about uh, discipleship and things like that. Uh, Catholicism stood very strong on the salvation of Jesus, regardless of how you get it. Um, but now the current Pope has brought in anyone who believes in God. So Muslims according to the Pope, can be saved because they believe in God. 
But yet Jesus says you have to believe also in me. You have to believe in me. And then the access to Jesus, this is probably the most important part about um, our teaching people in the world today about Christ is the only way to God is through Jesus. So how do you get to God through Jesus? Well, you have to be covered by his blood. You have to join him in death, burial, and resurrection. We can go to Romans 6 and say, here's what the Bible says about this, concerning this. But there are a lot of people today that say, well, I've accepted Jesus in my heart, or I, I have a faith in Christ. I believe that he's the son of God. And those are all wonderful things. But the access point is to go through him. You don't go around him. You go through him. And how do you go through Christ? You have to enter through his blood. You have to be a part of his church. And those are specific things that a lot of religious groups do not teach. Um, that anybody who believes, as long as you believe, well, the, the same thing for Catholicism now. They say, as long as you believe that there's a God. So you have an atheist who can literally lay down his head after living a, a life of paganism and just go, yeah, I believe there's a God. Boom, you're in heaven. Congratulations. I think probably he'd get there faster if they paid, you know, some tithes. I mean, <laughs> you, you can pray for him. You can have the worst person in the world and say, well, I'm going to give some money to the church and the... Pope, you know, all the archbishop, well, we'll pray for him. We'll, we'll pray him into heaven. And that's just crazy. Uh, the, the, that's a whole political uh, part of it with, with the way money works to fund the religion. Yeah. Well, this statement would be gospel in a nutshell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. He is the way. He's the access point. He is the basis of all faith and truth. And then he is the eternal life. You cannot have life except through Christ. And we, we do a pretty good job, at least within our fellowship, talking about the blood of Jesus. And I think we need to, when you talk about salvation, you need to talk about the blood. You'll hear me when I talk about at the invitation, I'll almost every time, I may not mention, I may not say baptism, but I will say you have to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, you know, how does that happen? Only in baptism. And I've asked people before who have said, you know, I just believed and, you know, I believe that God poured his spirit on me and saved me in that moment. And I would say, well, then why did Jesus have to die? This is a good question to ask people because Jesus had to die so that his blood could be shed and his blood was shed so that you and I could be covered by it. So how are you covered by it? I said, well, I just pray. And I was like, well, nowhere in the Bible is there a single story of anybody praying and accepting the blood of Christ. It's only in baptism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And it really takes away. This comes back to we need we need to talk about grace. Grace is important, but it takes away from obedience. And and God has always required obedience. He's always required it. It doesn't matter whether it's the rebellion of the Israelites, whether it's the you know the 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 worship of idols throughout the old covenant, God has always said, you've got to obey me. You've got to obey my commands. That's why he gave him 10 rules that summarize the law. Like, I'm going to give you 10 points. If you can't memorize all the laws, at least you can memorize these 10 points. And today, why would we think it's any different? There has to be obedience. I can't just believe. Uh, that's a stage of faith, but I can believe anything I want. I mean, we, our kids believe all kinds of things. So. That's right. The demons believe. They tremble. In the presence of God. So faith is essential as his first step, but it's not alone. There's nowhere in the Bible does it say faith alone saves. Nowhere. 
Faith is requiring action. And this is one reason why some of our friends, like Lutheran friends and stuff, they, they'd prefer if the book of James wasn't in the Bible. Because James says faith and works. And boy, they don't like that. You can't talk about works. You're saved by grace. Amen. But you're saved by grace through faith. And so what does that mean? Faith is active. It's an action word. I can, I can say I believe in something all day long, but if I'm not showing it by my actions, there's no evidence. You know, would you, would you buy something with no evidence at all? I mean, somebody calls you up and says, hey, I got this. Would you like to have it? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to have it. Okay, well, send me some money. And you didn't see it? You had, you know, it wouldn't make any sense to do that. So if you're going to say you're a Christian, there has to be evidence of a Christian life. That's what Jesus is showing us is that I'm the way, the truth, the life. This is all access points to me. But uh, ultimately, you have to prove that you're a disciple. Jesus says you'll be known by the way you love each other. That's an action. That's not just an emotional feeling. Yep. Bear fruit. And then you'll be known by your fruit, whether it's good or bad. Um, But yeah, it throws out all other religions right here. It's, it's, that's it. You have to get through the, through Jesus. And we have a lot of friends that are denominational and, and, and live and reside in certain faiths that have completely different teachings than us. And we love them and we would love for them to join us in heaven. But the requirements to get to heaven have already been laid out in Scripture. And it doesn't matter what I teach or preach or believe. The Scriptures will always be confirmed as God's, God's truth. So... Uh, what does the Bible teach us? You have to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ in baptism. You have to. Jesus told his disciples that multiple times. He told Nicodemus that in John 3. And you've got dozens of examples. Thousands of Christians converted in the book of Acts. Thousands. Nearly 3,000 on Pentecost that were all taught the same thing. You have to be baptized into the blood of Jesus. Um, he is the only access point. So he comforts Thomas a little bit. And then now we got Philip is going to ask a question. So let's go to uh, verse, uh, verse 8. So Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the fa- uh, in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. That's important. We'll come back to that in a minute. Because I go to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments uh, and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So he comforts Philip 
he has kind of this confusing question is, why can't you just show us the Father now? Why do you have to go there? And this shows again their inability to understand the depth of Jesus' mission. It was not just to come and live on the earth and to set a good example and die for the sacrifice of, as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus' work is not completed at the cross. When he says it is finished, it means that the old law is being fulfilled on the cross. But the work of Jesus is beginning after uh, Pentecost, or after, at least after his ascension, that he now ascends to be high priest in heaven. So Jesus' work is going on to this very day. He's not completing it. He's saying, my earthly job has been fulfilled. And so they say, well, why don't you just show us the Father now? Why don't you just, you just let us have access to heaven, basically, in this moment? And Jesus says, no, you've still got work to do. This is, this is where I, remember John the Baptist, I must decrease so that he may increase. That's kind of what Jesus is saying, is that I'm going to, I'm going to go take my place as the high priest and you are going to do greater works than I did. And this is, a, this is a theme through the last part of John. is Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going to be doing some amazing things. They're going to do more miracles than Jesus did. They're going to reach more souls than Jesus did. Because he was limited to a small section of, of real estate. In fact, Jesus told them repeatedly, don't go to the Gentiles. You know, stay in the household of Jerusalem. But when he ascends into heaven, he says, now I need you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So Jesus' work, you know, doing the miracles and teachings is limited to a little space. But the apostles are going to be the ones that take it to the whole world. That's why in Acts 2 it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's nothing against what Jesus had taught. But by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they taught the things Jesus said on steroids. You know, they took all the things that Jesus said, take the Sermon on the Mount, take the, the Beatitudes, and they put an application to it. And really, we don't have a lot of instruction about the establishment of the church. We don't have a lot of instruction of Jesus saying, once you have established the New Testament church, I need you to appoint elders and deacons. And we don't have any of that. But what we have is they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. So the apostles had received this teaching uh, throughout their ministry. And as soon as the Holy Spirit is poured out, the wisdom that they had was to structure um, this uh, structure the church, basically, in the way that God had directed the acts of worship. We don't have Jesus saying, when the church is established, I don't want you to use instruments of music. I want you to take communion on the first day of every week. I want you to... Jesus didn't say it like that. All he said was, I need you to do this every time you're together. But the apostles lay the groundwork, the foundation, and they said, this is the direction we need to go. This is what we need to do. And that's why Jesus is saying, you're going to do some great things, but I won't be here when it happens. I will be in heaven. Now, we have Jesus standing, looking down uh, at the right hand of God when Stephen's stoned to death. We have uh, moments where he interacts with, say, Paul, um, Saul of Tarsus. But for the most part, Jesus' work is now at the right hand of God and will be until the end of time. So uh, he's, he's telling his disciples, you better be ready to work because the, the hard stuff's about to start. Most of the stuff they had been through at this point was easy comparatively to what they were going to have to face after Pentecost. We're talking about multiple beatings, kicked out of synagogues, stoned and thrown out of cities. Um, all the apostles are going to die some violent death except for John, who was tortured multiple times. So uh, he's saying, look, I'll give you a little comfort, and that is that you're going to do some great things. But ultimately, it's going to cost them their lives. Which, another thing too, just to, kind of as a side note, 
is proof to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that these men actually believed that Jesus did raise from the dead. I mean, they were there, they were witnesses to it. And, uh, you know, I've been told lies before that I've believed, but, you know, I, I wouldn't die for something that had been told to me. I, would, I wouldn't do that. But they died knowing that what they were teaching was true, that Jesus did raise on the third day. Um, what are your thoughts on those verses? <laughs> they had the confirmation when they received the Holy Spirit. Right, that's right. There when, uh, should have been no doubt. But in these verses here, I can see where they would still be confused <laughs> because... He's telling them on one hand, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. But then you get down here later, and he will pray the Father. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of confusing there. And I can right. see where they would still be confused until they receive the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah, and, and that is a, a really deep theological question that I, I cannot adequately teach um, I can share my opinion on how it works, but, and you've probably heard me teach on it before, but how can the Father and the Son be one if they are separately two? How is it possible that the Holy Spirit can be sent by Jesus, but yet the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead, Father and Son, how do they work three ways separately and also be all the same? That is a, um, that is a question that is, you know, I, I pondered that my whole life, and it's very hard to try to comprehend. Yeah, Ben? Uh, the apostles, part of the scriptures, received the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, we as Christians, when we accept Christ and get that, we receive the gift yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Right. So, there's definitely a difference. Yes. The power allowed them to do the things that they did mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we have the gift. Right. Right. And it is, uh, I've done series and classes on the Holy Spirit. Billy did one last year or two years ago. And that, again, that's a very deep subject. But there are differences between, like you said, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift, spiritual gifts of the Spirit of God. And there's also a difference between the power, like you said, that gave them access to do miracles and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that stayed permanently. And here's the best way to explain it in my opinion, if you'll read in the gospels, there are multiple times where it says Jesus breathed on them, the Holy spirit. So this is a temporary empowerment. It it is meant to give them just enough strength to go and do some of these miracles. They didn't have a full time plug. It's like if I were to unplug my iPad right now, it would go for an hour, but it's going to die because the battery is going to die on it. Same thing. They received, it says, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, they would go do these miracles, and then it would fade away. Matthew 17 is a great example. Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration, and you've got the three disciples with him. They come down off the mountain, and there's this kid throwing himself into a fire, and he's having seizures. And the dad's like, I've been, I brought them to your disciples, and they didn't know how to do it. And Jesus just heals him. And then they go, why couldn't we do this? And he said, because you didn't have enough prayer and fasting. You, know, you, didn't, you were not empowered enough to, to complete this miracle. But in the book of Acts, the apostles were so uh, empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not just the personal indwelling for salvation, but the miraculous power, that they were able to perform miracles of people just touching their garments. You know, that people wanted to just walk in Peter's shadow, just like the woman did with Jesus, to touch the hem of his garment. 
the power would radiate from them. And when the apostles died, they were able to pass on some of those miraculous, powerful gifts. But when they died, it's just like unplugging the battery. Eventually, those gifts were to cease. I think Paul does a great job in 1 Corinthians 13 explaining why. Because once love is the primary gift of the church, then the miracles wouldn't be needed anymore. They only needed confirmation that Jesus was the Christ. That's what that generation needed. We don't need that confirmation anymore. You can't write a check without knowing that Jesus was born. You know, you can't, you can't do anything without seeing the, the name of Christ somewhere, and to, at least in this generation. It may change in others. But, I mean, the calendar revolves around his birthday. So uh, the conviction that he existed that shouldn't, be a, shouldn't be a question. But what Jesus now currently does, that's where we say, what does he do? How does he work? And he works through his, the hands and feet of the church, but not in a miraculous way. Those, those, those gifts were no longer needed. Um, no need to convict the world that he was the Christ. We know that he's the Christ. Once the whole world knew and learned, then uh, you know, we, we continue to teach it. It's a cycle. We teach the next generation. But miracles, there are things God does, and that's another question about the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. God can do anything he wants to do. And he can do it when he wants and how he wants. And it, I don't have any input on that. And there are times that um, things will happen that we cannot explain. We absolutely have no explanation for it. And just like Joe mentioned a minute ago, somebody coming in to say, well, I got stage four cancer and I'm going to have to have treatments. And they come in and they go, well, we don't see anything. And we go, praise God for that x-ray technician. Praise God for that doctor who uh, took the test. No, what do we say? Praise God. <laughs> we praise God because there are things that happen that we have no explanation for. And I do believe that there are things that we just barely miss. I mean, God's providence, I believe this, I tell every time we take a trip, if we get onto traffic and there's an accident, we think, you know, that could have been us. If we had left two minutes earlier, that could have been us. But God's provision uh, was present. Yeah, Barbara. Oh, and when he says um, anything you ask of me, mm-hmm. I will give you. Yes. I think that goes to your thing about, you know, we can't explain some things. But I know I have known people that have quit the church because they said, I beg, and I yeah. beg, and I beg. And so that, that's always been a question to me. Right. If you ask, I'll, you'll, you'll get it. But I guess that's only if it's good for us. What, I mean, yeah. I don't like explain that. And really, there's two ways to look at it. One is, I don't know that I don't know that I'm real strong in this opinion, but I do think that it's possible that he's speaking directly to the apostles. Whatever you're doing, you're going to do it in my name. And the reason why I think that is in Matthew 18, Jesus says, "Whatever decision you make, two or three of you are gathered. I'll be there in your midst." And I think that this may be a command to Thomas and to Philip and to the the twelve is that. Whenever something needs to be done, you call on my name and it'll get done. And so the power of the miracles was not only through the Holy Spirit that was inside them and the power that they had, but also by the name of Jesus Christ. When they performed miracles, uh, when they did the casting out of demons, they would say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you. So it's possible that that command, if you just ask it in my name, you'll get it, is only for the twelve. Um, if that's not the case, we have to look at like um, Matthew 26, where Jesus prays in you know, in the will of the God, uh, God, will of the Father. And sometimes if you pray, like I can pray, 
just I can I can pray right now. You know, Lord, fill this room with a million dollars in the name of Jesus. And I, you know, you'd say, Oh, I think I've seen him on TV. Osteen's his name. But you, I pray I pray right now that you just fill this room, and it's not going to happen. Well, is that because God didn't have the power to do it? No. Why 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 is it not going to happen? Because it's not His will that it happened. It's not his will that we receive that thing. And so there are times that we, and I've done this. You probably have too. I have spent years in prayer about things. And I mean, I have petitioned, I have pleaded, I have begged, I have bargained. God, if you would please do this, I swear, I promise, I vow, I will, if you'll just please answer this request. And God says no. Um, And it hurts. But we have to pray within the will of God. That's why I think this may, uh, basically for the apostles, if you, if you decide to do something in my name, it's going to happen. Yeah. My notes say that um, it is not simply a prayer that mentions Jesus' name, but prayer in accordance with all that the person who bears the name is. It is prayer aimed at carrying forward the work of, that Jesus did. Prayer that he himself would answer. Yeah. To forward his Jesus has some prayers that aren't answered. In the garden, he asked the Lord to let the cup pass. So um, there are going to be times that we just simply, no matter how powerful we are in the Holy Spirit, how strong our faith is, uh, the idea, this is another thing, it's kind of, maybe a somewhat of a misconception. There's a, a verse where Jesus says, if you have the faith, you can make this mountain move here to here. And we just, okay, well, I have the faith to move mountains. That's not what it means. If you look at where Jesus is standing, he's looking at the mountain in front of him that that they had tore down and moved. They had literally taken shovel by shovel a mountain and moved it out into the sea. They do this uh, a couple of times. Romans were good at building roads. And oftentimes, like you ever driven through... you know, the Ozark Mountains or you drive through Tennessee and you see these lines going down through the rocks where they've laid the dynamite and blown up the mountain. And to, for us to save uh, 90 seconds of driving around the mountain, they've blown the mountain up and went through it. But in those days, you had to move the mountain. And so they, what Jesus is saying is you have the faith to move mountains. Faith is action. You have to literally pick it up and move it shovel by shovel. And they would move... They would move cities. They would move. Look at, the, look at the pyramids as an example. So faith is not just saying, God, do it, but me having the action plan to make it happen. I can ask God to make me healthy all day long. But if I'm going to go home and eat a box of Little Debbie and not exercise and um, you know, refuse to take care of my body, I can't be mad at God for not healing me and making me well. Um, my favorite uh, in the movie uh, Bruce Almighty is when the lady comes up and she's like, I lost however much weight on the Krispy Kreme diet, you know? And I'm like, man, that's, that would be a great answer to prayer right there. But, um, cause I've tried that diet. It doesn't work out too well, but, um, so you have to have faith in action. You have to have faith in action. But how many times have you later on said, oh, thank you God. Yes. 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 Yeah. It's like a Garth Brooks song, you know? It's a, very thankful for unanswered prayers because uh, some of those prayers extremely selfish. Extremely well, selfish prayers. Most of the time we, I, I think for myself, maybe not all of those, but I think most of the time uh, we pray uh, it's for what we want, you know, mm-hmm. instead of what God's will is, you know, because if we 
have some family member or friend that's you know that's dying. I know it's not selfish, but we want them to be healed or yeah. whatever. But yeah, we don't know what is in His plans, you know, and stuff. And so, um, and we should pray boldly. You go boldly before the throne of God. Ask for what you want. But just recognize it's not always, just like a child, you, you remember, if you go back, if you, what, was, what if right now today, what you received was what was on your gift list for Santa when you were eight years old? You know, would you be like, oh yeah, you know, that's great. No, you, you thought you wanted things earlier in life that are totally different now. Uh, what now you'd be praying for health and you'd be praying for, you know, uh, protection for your family. You wouldn't be asking for a, you know, BMX bike. So, yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, just like you said, you know, about praying for the money. Well, there's, there's many millionaires and billionaires that will tell you that even if this million dollars did, did show up, you'd want another million. Yeah. Another million. Yeah. Another million. You're not satisfied with yeah. just that million. And God yeah. knows that. God knows our yeah. hearts. Yeah, we get mad. They tax it. <laughs> they're going to ta- tax you when you get it. They're going to tax you when you spend it. And they're going to tax you if you save it. This is like they get it every way they can. Yeah. I worked with this group of ladies, and one day we were standing there talking about prayer. Mm-hmm. And one of these ladies says, Well, I'm praying for God to give me a mink coat. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the way it is. Right. Yeah, somebody's got to work for that. It's, the, and it's that entitlement attitude sometimes, yeah. The thing is, you know, if you sat there and prayed that this room be filled up with a million dollars, yeah. how many people in this room actually believe that that would happen? Right, right, yeah, exactly. I mean, on TV they would. <laughs> there, there's some people who do that every day. Send in your seed donation. and uh, Let me just read these last few verses that will be done for today. Uh, Judas, Judas says, Lord... How is it you'll manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus said to him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus is saying, basically, if you love me, you're going to do what I say. And if you don't love me, you won't follow me. You won't take my commandments. So people who say, I love God, but don't do his word, they're in rebellion. And he says, you're not mine. These, verse 25, have spoken... To you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you'd rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father's is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father and that the Father gave me commandment. So I do. Arise, let us go from here. And in the journey to the mountain where he will pray, we have the next teachings. And I am going to, uh, to next Wednesday, I'm going to give you a couple of sheets. This is bonus Bonus work, bonus, bonus material. I'm going to give you a, a list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, and some other little things that might help us to decipher chapter 15 and 16, because we, we didn't really get into the, the power of the Holy Spirit as much as we could have today. So we'll do that next week and um, do our best to, to tackle that great subject. All right. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. Be sure to like and follow and subscribe to our social media pages. You can find channels and links on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok pages. Check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to contribute to the show, if you want to send some prayer requests or suggestions about upcoming content, please email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Hope you have a wonderful day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.